You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one of griefs for a firstborn. So during this time, God will remove the scales from before the eyes of the nation of Israel and they will embrace Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior. And they will no longer refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they'll actually refer to Jesus and acknowledge him as their God as well. The Jewish people have rejected Jesus since the day he was born. They couldn't acknowledge him as Messiah while he lived and wouldn't turn to him for salvation. Yet, as Pastor Mike teaches today, Jews were his covenant people. He will not forget them or forsake them. In the time of the Great Tribulation in particular, there will be a great number of Jewish people coming to believe in Jesus as Messiah. Despite having to experience the suffering of the tribulation, their faith will be strong, and they'll be a light to the world. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 7 as he continues his message, Revelation's Mercy Chapter. God saved us. He didn't make the world system any better, but he did equip us to live in this world that is becoming increasingly worse. You see, the world at its worst will always experience God at his best. And this is particularly true in the life of a believer. You see, that's just who God is. As I've already mentioned, God tempers his wrath and his judgment with grace and mercy. I mean, think about it. In his wrath, he remembered mercy on the night of the Passover in Egypt. Or another example, how about the flood in Noah's day? God prepared an ark. At Calvary, when he cast the world into darkness and shook the earth during the third hour because of man's sin, in the hour of his son's death on the cross, he could have closed the books on all mankind and he would be just and right in doing so, but instead he remembered mercy and salvation. And so chapter 7 anyway is known as the mercy chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice the instruments God uses to suspend judgments there in verse 1 are these angels who possess a prominent position throughout the tribulation period. These awesome, powerful creations of God. 
And just to give you an idea of how awesome and powerful these creations of God are, these angels, I would remind you of what is recorded for us in 2 Kings in chapter 19 and verse 35. When Israel is surrounded by their enemies, the Assyrians, led by the king Sennacherib, who is threatening good king Hezekiah, Hezekiah is the king of, of Israel, he's mocking uh, Israel, he's mocking Hezekiah, but then he went as far as to mock Israel's God, and that's where he made a big mistake. And so, in relationship to those threats, God sent his angel, and in one night, wiped out 185,000 of Sennacherib's soldiers. And so in the morning, when King Hezekiah got up and looked out from his vantage point down into the valley where the Assyrian troops had camped, there were these motionless dead bodies strewn all over the valley. And then we are told, and we shouldn't be surprised, that Sennacherib departed and went home and stayed home there in Nineveh. Nineveh was that capital at that time of Assyria. Now, these are those same creations of God to whom it's been given to intervene in our affairs, in the affairs of man, on our behalf. Folks, that's mercy. That's God's grace. In the 91st Psalm, in verses 11 and 12, there we are told, He's given His angels charge over us, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So these awesome creations of God. So here we're introduced to these four angels. Notice again, let's go back to our text, verse 1. They're standing upon the four corners of the earth, the north, south, east, west corners of the earth, and they're holding back the winds of judgment. The angels are told, notice, not to hurt the earth or the sea or the trees till the servants of God are sealed. And so the tribulation days are days of hurting, but this sealing angel that we are introduced to here in verse 2 of our text preserves certain ones, and those certain ones are referenced here in verse 3. They are preserved from this hurting. Now, during the seven years of tribulation. Now, who are these individuals? Well, that brings us to our third point, and that is the sealed of Israel. And they're described for us in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 7. But let's only read verse 4, and then I'll remark on the remainder of verses that are part of that text. Verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, so this is the those who were sealed by the angel, the sealing angel, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then verses 5 through 8 go through the various tribes and names the uh, 12 tribes. So there's 12,000 individuals from the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 in all. So judgment is suspended until these 144,000 Jews are sealed by this angel. And they are literal Israelites. Notice that there is not a Gentile among them. Now this is not the church, as some people have suggested. 
because the church has already been raptured. Remember Revelation in chapter 4. This is not some new entity of the church. It's not some present day adherence. It's not a sect. It's not a cult. It's not the Jehovah Witnesses, whom at one time they used to claim to be this 144,000 that's being described and depicted for us here in this text. That is, until their membership exceeded 144,000. And now I don't know how they go about explaining exactly who they are. But simply verse 4, here in chapter 7, tell us that these 144,000 are children of Israel. So the sealed remnant of Jews, not having received the gospel before the rapture of the church has taken place, will now turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now this is just a remnant of all of Israel. And during this time, as I mentioned before, there's going to be a great soul harvest. But particularly, there will uh, uh, take place a, a great soul harvest in Israel, throughout Israel. There will be a revival uh, throughout Israel. And this actual event has been foretold in the book of Zechariah. And if you want to turn there with me, in Zechariah in chapter 12, in verse 10, there we are told, and this takes place during the seven years of tribulation, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one of griefs for a firstborn. So during this time, God will remove the scales from before the eyes of the nation of Israel, and they will embrace Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior. And they will no longer refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they'll actually refer to Jesus and acknowledge him as their God as well. And anyway, as it relates to the Antichrist, he will not be able uh, to destroy them. In a sense, they're sort of going to be like a bulletproof. They're going to be sealed. Now, why is it that the Antichrist will not be able to defeat or destroy or hinder these 144,000 Jews to go forward in the preaching of the gospel? Well, simply because they're sealed by God. That's the only explanation that needs to be offered. And what does it mean to be sealed? Well, to answer this question, first of all, a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. Notice there in verse 2, there's a couple of features. Notice, first of all, that the seal belongs to, and I want to emphasize this, the living God. The living God. Not some dead God, not some figment of our imagination, but the eternal creator of all things. You know, this reminds me of, and I, I think this would be a great example of this point. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's depicted for us in 1 Kings in chapter 18. The contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, who called upon their God, but received no response from their dead deity. Remember, this contest was all about to determine whose God was the true and the living God. Well, Elijah's God, our God alone, is the true and the living God. 
And listen, we know that living God, don't we? And only in the living God will his followers find strength in their conflicts with their enemies. Only in the true and the living God can a thirsty soul find satisfaction. So then, this is the seal of divine possession, protection, and preservation. Now, also back in biblical times, just a little bit of further trivia concerning being sealed. Back in biblical times, the seal of kings was stamped in a signet ring and worn by the one in the place of authority. And it was used to identify personal property, to preserve and protect it, and also to prove ownership. Now, interestingly enough, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1 and verse 13, speaks about the Holy Spirit as the seal in the believer, making us his property, assuring us of his protection, provision, until our final redemption. And so, these 144,000 sealed for protection, preservation, and preaching during the Great Tribulation. I want you to think of them, this 144,000, if you will, like super evangelists. It would be almost like they were 144,000 uh, Billy Grahams that they go forth into all of the world preaching the gospel, the same gospel that I'm preaching and delivering to you. And thus we have, think about this now, in the remaining verses of this chapter, notice we're introduced to another company of people. And most Bible teachers believe that this group is the result of the 144,000 sealed witnesses during the tribulation and their calling to preach the gospel. It's a harvest of souls. Okay, let's pick up in verse 9. After these things I looked, that is after the sealing of the 144,000, and then, then being discharged to go out into the world to preach the gospel, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So a revival has broken out, the result of their ministry. Many have come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, as is indicated here by the description provided for us in verse 9. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood round the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them, and they shall neither hunger any more, nor thirst any more, and the sun shall not strike them. Okay, so, once again, first of all, concerning this group, Go back to verse 9. 
I want you to take note of the fact that this group has come out from all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. That's the makeup of this group that we're introduced to here. So this would include then Gentiles as well as Jews who are one to Jesus as the result of Israel's redeemed, the 144,000 uh, preaching the everlasting gospel. And notice they appear robed in righteousness and holiness, which is indicated by the white robes that they are wearing, verses 9 as well as verse 13, which also indicates how that they are divinely approved by God. They have been made white, notice, by the blood of the Lamb, verse 14. And if you think about it, God has only one way of saving people and making them righteous. And how is that? Through the blood and the washing of the Lamb of God. You know, there's that old chorus that we occasionally sing here at Harvest, and it goes, What can wash away my sins? And the answer to that question is, and the chorus continues, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's absolutely true. But notice now the second feature, there in verse 15, they engage in one glorious ministry. They served as priests in God's temple, day and night in heaven. And the description of their service tells us that they are glorified and immortal. And it is a glad, unceasing service. And then finally, the last two verses here in chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. Let's go ahead and read them. And they shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Now, I believe that many of these people that we've just been introduced to are martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, they were killed uh, for their belief in Christ. They're embracing Christ as the Lord and Savior. So this is a reference to those tribulation uh, martyrs. So let me read it again then. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. In other words, none of the things that are going on during the seven years of tribulation will have any longer effect upon them. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, that would be Jesus, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so the loving, good shepherd, who is Jesus himself, shall lead and feed his own, providing for every need, the springs of life, with their fountains of living water, notice verse 17, shall not cease to flow out to them. And for them, life has been filled with tears, as they took their place in the hour of judgment during that seven-year period. Probably loved ones, family members, were killed before their eyes by the Antichrist and his regime. But now they are comforted as God wipes away the tears from their eyes. They will now know their past sorrows were not worthy to com be compared with the glory into which they have entered. Listen, gang, sorrow which is one of mankind's antagonists, shall not always have the upper hand. Praise God for that. You see, the day is coming when God will have removed every semblance of the cause of tears. Now, one last thought 
before we close out this message. You know, I believe that there is a present application of this promise that's recorded here for us as well. Yes, life can be tough at times. And in fact, I think some of us right now are experiencing those times. I mean, think about all of the unsettledness, unrest, injustice, confusion, having to deal with this present health crisis. And yes, it's great to know that one day, we all, that is, those of us who have made that decision for Christ, will be going to heaven. But what about now? Well, in your present affliction and sorrow, you can know this good shepherd who has been recommended to us here in our text. And he too, if you choose, will lead you, feed you, and protect you. But it's a choice that you have to make. Remember in one of our recent studies here in the book of Revelation, in chapter 3, in verse 20, Jesus is pictured standing at the door, and he's knocking. And I believe that door is a picture of the door of our heart. And he goes on to declare there in Revelation chapter 3, in verse 21, if anyone, and I love that, about the invitations uh, given by God, they're universal, they're for all people. It doesn't matter where you've come from or who you are, your background. He says, if anyone will hear my voice, let me ask you this question. Have you heard the voice of God speaking to you through this message? Well, if you have, and if you will open that door and invite Jesus in, he promises that will be the beginning of your intimate relationship with Him, where all of these things that we've been talking about can be yours. So, as you, are you one of God's own? Well, listen, you can be. A couple of cross-references. John's Gospel in chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And gang, here's the best news. You can begin to follow Jesus right now. No matter your condition, as I mentioned, no matter your background, no matter how great your sin. Because Jesus also said in John's Gospel in chapter 6, in verse 37, All who come to me... I will by no means cast out. He will accept you just the way you are. But you need to come asking Him, this is where you begin, to forgive you of your sin. And then you need to invite Him to come in and be your Lord and your Savior. Will you do that? Would you make that choice if you've never made it before? In my Father's house there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. The book of Revelation is filled with symbols and numbers and pictures that seem beyond comprehension, yet each one has a purpose and meaning. This book takes you into the end of the world, a time when Jesus will return to redeem the earth and rid it once and for all of evil. It's a time that may be sooner than you think. 
And that's why we're so glad you joined us today to study this important final book of the Bible on In My Father's House. If you'd like to hear more teachings from this series in Revelation, or if you want to explore Pastor Mike's studies in the other books of the Bible, just visit harvestnyc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified each time we post a new edition of the show. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know that we're praying for you. You are a valued listener, and we're grateful to have you tuned in to learn about the love of God from the pages of Scripture. With that, our time with you is coming to an end. Join us next time for another edition of In My Father's House. There's a place for